Hey guys, in light of the current COVID-19 crisis, I am teaming up with Himalaya to show our support. From April 1st through the end of May, Himalaya will match the exact dollar amount for every active subscriber to our premium channel and donate it to direct relief to support our healthcare workers. Go to your favorite app store, download the Himalaya app, search for Personal Revolution, and subscribe to our premium channel to show your support. Let's fight this pandemic together. Welcome back, Revolutionary. This is Episode 8, Doubt Crusher. I love the idea. I love the concept of crushing doubt, right? Any worry, any concern, any fear that you have, just picture this big, giant hand crushing it like it would a can. In fact, originally, I wanted to call this podcast course Doubt Crusher, but I didn't want the emphasis to be on the doubt, right? We're going to emphasize revolutionary. All right, back to you. So this episode is going to provide you with tactical tools that will help you break through and take action. In the last episode, episode seven, I promised I'd share some frameworks with you. And we did. We talked about the Disney model, right? The critic, the planner, the creative, and lots of other great frameworks. This is where we get physical, we take it, and we move it forward. So welcome to episode eight. These are the brawny tools and tactics that will help you follow up what you learned in the last episode, episode seven, which were those academic frameworks. This episode is all about street smarts, right? These are tools that you can use right now so you can more efficiently navigate to your goal. This is the penultimate episode, right? There's two more episodes to go. The next episode is called Closing the Deal. So that's going to take you the final mile toward your goal achievement. This is the penultimate goal episode. So we got to work it out. We got to work it out in this episode and move you toward it. The last episode is going to be your victory lap. And let me tell you something, that is all champagne, sunshine, and rainbows. So can't wait to get there, but you're not there yet. As I mentioned in the last episode, before you begin the next episode, which is closing the deal, you need to be at a nine on your scale on your prep sheet, right? That one to 10 scale of where am I on a scale of one to 10 toward achieving my goal. Before you start the next episode, you'll be at a nine. Right now, where are you? six, seven, eight. If you're four or five, go back. There's more work to be done. If you're six, seven, or eight, you're in the right place, right? We're here. We're super close. So this is it. The frameworks from the last episode and the tools in this episode will help you take those final steps. We'll take you to a nine. This episode is filled with the shortcuts that well-traveled journeymen rely on. So hop in the back of my cab. I'm going to show you a route you've never seen before. Let's do this. You've got a goal to achieve. In this episode, I will review the following tactical tools. One, unleash your inner superhero. Two, identify your stakeholders. Three, oh, this is a glorious one. Let your role models pull you up. Four, milestones and inch pebbles. Five, question burst, which is actually an idea that was created by the director of the MIT Leadership Lab. So I'm super excited to share that with you. Six, you stress. Now that's not like you, you, like, are you stressed? It's you, like EU, like euphoria, also like euthanasia. It's a positive stress. So let's get in on that one. And the last one, meditation. So let's get started with unleashing your inner superhero. A recent study by psychologists Rachel E. White and Emily O. Prager demonstrated the power of superhero dress-up when it comes to important life skills like perseverance and persistence. They found that children who were dressed in a Batman costume were able to spend more time working on a tedious task than others in a control group who weren't in costume. When these four- and six-year-olds associated themselves with a hero, they behaved more heroically. Now, if you've ever dressed up as a child or an adult, you know how intoxicating the experience can be. You have permission to behave how another person would. And if the proliferation of sexy costumes is any indication, playing dress-up is a way to give yourself permission to be and do something you might not let yourself do otherwise. Reflection Stop Point When is the last time you dressed up in a costume? How did it make you feel? 
What was the impact of wearing that costume? Did you act differently? How? And let's be frank, right? On cozy days when you wear sweats, you're wearing a costume. When you go to work or an interview, you're wearing a costume. Those are all costumes we wear all the time. But I want to talk about when you've kicked it up a notch, right? Like for 80s night or Halloween or something like that. When did you really go theatrical? Amy Cuddy, the Harvard professor, social psychologist, and author of Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges, is responsible for the distribution of the Power Pose meme. Her 2012 TED Talk is one of the most powerful of all time. Based on her research, she determined that holding a power pose, like Wonder Woman or Superman, with arms akimbo, legs apart, chest out, this increases testosterone and reduces cortisol. In fact, after holding this pose for a short period of time, just two minutes, study participants felt more calm and confident. By holding a power pose, one is better prepared to engage in a high-stakes situation and confidently go after success. Now, since Cuddy's study, other academics have attempted to replicate her research, and they've had mixed reviews. But the concept caught fire in pop psychology, and I recommend give it a whirl. Even if it has a placebo effect, it still has a positive impact. So before that important meeting, phone call, or even just to psych yourself up for the day, try standing in a superhero power pose. I, for one, believe that even if your testosterone doesn't spike, the placebo effect is worthwhile. When you take a couple minutes to just breathe and stand confidently, it's going to have a positive impact. And if that doesn't work, grab a cape and a mask. Dress up is a powerful empowerment tool. This is one of my all-time favorite client case studies, so get ready. Siley Avalenda, which is her real name, made a significant life change after tapping into her own inner superhero. She first came to see me in the fall of 2016. She was a successful corporate attorney with a gnawing feeling that she wanted to do more. After Donald Trump was elected, Siley was devastated. She felt like she had not done enough to help Hillary Clinton win. She was a first-generation Cuban-American, and I remember when she locked eyes with me and said, my parents didn't come to this country for me to have opportunity so that I could become a corporate attorney. I need to do something bigger, something more. I need to make a contribution. So she became involved with several local activist groups. Their goal was to start a productive conversation with their Republican congressional representative. She became so active in a group called New Jersey 11th for Change that this representative, his name was Freulinghausen, disparagingly identified her as a ringleader. In fact, he wrote a letter to the bank in which she worked saying that there is a ringleader in your midst, right? I saw the letter. It was written in handwriting. She wore that term so proudly, and NPR ended up doing a story on her. In early 2018, that representative, Freulinghausen, unexpectedly announced that he would not be running for re-election after holding that seat for decades. Siley left her job, and this whole experience had revealed her bigger life purpose, political activism. Siley released her inner superhero to make that transition into a more meaningful life. By releasing your inner superhero, you will summon the courage to take action on a step toward your goal that may have seemed scary before. When I last heard from Siley, she had become the executive director of New Jersey 11th for Change. She had been featured in the New York Times, on NPR, as I mentioned, and in Marie Claire. In the midterm elections, Siley's work was fundamental in helping get Mikey Sherrill elected to Congress as one of the women who were part of the largest group of women ever before in U.S. Congress. You are a superhero to someone today and every day. You have already had a positive, meaningful impact on the people around you. You already are a hero. If there's something you need to do as you approach your goal, Take the superhero pose. Remind yourself that you have within you what it takes to achieve your goal. And go do it, superstar. Reflection stop point. When have you taken bold, decisive action? 
When did you act with so much courage you surprised even yourself? What led to this? Action stop point. Let's try this. Set a timer for two minutes, then stand up, feet shoulder width apart, hands on your hips, chest out. Breathe deeply and concentrate on your personal power. Stay focused on your strength. After the two minutes are up, write down how you felt. Did anything shift for you? What feels different for you now than it did two minutes ago? Here's your next tool. Identify your stakeholders. Your stakeholders are the people you know and love who are directly affected by you pursuing and achieving your goal. I briefly introduced this concept in episode two when I shared the story about Sophia, who was able to stop smoking by thinking about the impact it would have on her daughter. And again in episode three, when you thought about the people who would be impacted by your achievement when you were clarifying your SMART goal. Your stakeholders are the people who will be most impacted by the change that comes with you achieving your goal. Ideally, they are the people closest to you who stand to gain or lose the most based on your achievement. They are the people whose well-being matters to you, the people for whom you are motivated to be your best self. One of the most powerful stakeholder stories I've ever heard was told to me by Jeremy, a colleague who had survived a coma after a near-death car crash. Jeremy said that while he was in the hospital, truly struggling for his life, he kept returning to thoughts of his young daughter. He kept telling himself to stay alive, to try to communicate, to do whatever he could to stay alive so that he could be there for his daughter, to be her dad again. After coming out of his coma and spending years of his life in physical therapy, Jeremy made a full recovery. He credits his daughter with giving him the motivation to pull away from death and toward life. Reflection stop point. Have you ever heard a story like this when someone's love for another person helped them do something that they didn't think was otherwise possible? Recall the story and relive it. Have you ever done something incredibly difficult, motivated by your desire to see or be with a loved one? I always find it so impossibly romantic, right? When there's an older couple, one of them's in ill health, he passes, and then within months, his perfectly healthy spouse passes too, right? Well, that's not the ending we're building to here, but that connection, right? That powerful episode five and six stuff, right? That powerful connection that they had, they just didn't want to live without each other. Well, flip that, right? Make that an inverse. When has your desire to live for someone or someone's desire to live for you made miracles happen? Think back on, you know, early days of dating or best friendship or just supporting another person. You have that within you. Todd came to my office at a very interesting point in his life. He was at the cusp of retirement, planning to work another two or three years to meet his financial goals, when his company unexpectedly terminated his employment. He wanted to use coaching to decide if he could find more work for the next few years or pursue an early retirement. He was eager to retire and planned to return to his home in Portland, Oregon, where he had lived for more than a decade. But he felt that he needed a few more years of earning on the East Coast. He had a son who was entering his senior year of high school and who lived part-time with Todd and part-time with Todd's ex-wife. Todd wanted to pay for his son's education and wasn't sure he could do that without more employment. He was also the primary caretaker for his mother, who was in her 90s. She had recently moved into a senior living center close to his home in New Jersey. Whatever decision he made, it would have a serious impact on his mother and son. If he retired to Portland, his mother would need to be moved back to the West Coast, which would likely be her last cross-country trip. His son would have to finish his senior year of high school without his dad nearby. In the end, he was able to make the best decision for himself by creating opportunities for his mother and younger son. He took his son on a college tour of Oregon schools, which piqued his son's interest. Together, they realized that they could save more money in tuition if Todd moved to Oregon and his son took a gap year in Oregon to establish residency before attending the University of Oregon. A gap year would give them the opportunity to travel and connect. 
As for Todd's mother, he researched the senior living centers in the Portland area and found that they were far superior and more cost-effective than those in New Jersey. And Todd knew that if he retired, he could spend more time with her. He decided that he would be happy to get by with a little less money in exchange for more time to spend riding motorcycles on the Oregon coastline, more time to spend with his mother, and creating better opportunities for his son in Oregon. Although Todd was eager to retire, he couldn't create the momentum to do so when he took only his needs into consideration. He made his choice with confidence once he saw how it could benefit his family. Now, I actually have an update on Todd as well. When I reached out to him for his approval to use this story, he shared the following update with me. Check it out. For the past month, we, Todd and his son, have been traveling around China. Last week, we hiked the Taiga River Gorge in northern Yunnan province, not far from Tibet. And tomorrow, we check out the Terracotta Warriors here in Xi'an. I return to Portland in a couple weeks to look after mom while my son will stay in China and travel or work and polish up his Mandarin. Then he'll return to Oregon to start his freshman year at University of Oregon. Since I'm a regular at the Ducks football and baseball games, I'll go get a beer with him down there every week or so. Todd also mentioned that he'd been hired for a fair number of consulting gigs since he quote-unquote retired, which he really enjoys. Reflection Stop Point Everyone has stakeholders. Whose lives will be most affected by you achieving your goal? If you're the breadwinner in the family, this can have a major impact. If you're an earner, even if it's not as the sole or primary breadwinner, how will this change impact your spouse, children, dogs, vacations, and friends, positively or negatively? And when you think this through, Use the grow the pie philosophy, right? Small pie, just a couple pieces for a couple people. How can you grow the pie and afford more opportunity, right? Todd gave him and his son a trip to China in the gap year to bond and ended up saving money on college. Todd spending more time with his mother. All of those things were possible with an early retirement. How can you grow the pie and help this change add value? If you're relaunching after divorce, how will this impact your children, your future spouse, your shared friends? If you're launching your life after college and you're still living at home for now, how does this impact your parents? Action stop point. Who are the people who will be impacted by you achieving or not achieving your goal? Name at least three, along with how they will be impacted if you achieve or don't achieve your goal. Do you have someone you'd like to dedicate your goal to? Who can you honor with this achievement? Or more importantly, when the chips are down and you need a little push, whose face will give you that extra energy to keep going? By dedicating your goal, you will gain the momentum you need to cross the finish line. And that's an intentional metaphor, because if you look at any marathon, people are always wearing shirts with a name on their shirt, right? I'm doing this for so-and-so. I'm doing this for so-and-so's lymphoma, breast cancer, in memory of. People use that all the time as motivation. Who is your motivator? Now that you've identified the impact of your goal on your stakeholders, let that knowledge motivate you to move forward with your goal. Let the image of that person at the finish line help you pursue your action steps today. If you're thinking twice, if you don't have the time, Bring those people back into the forefront. Look at them, see them, and do it. Next tool, let your role models pull you up. I often encourage my clients to focus on a role model, someone they admire who helps grow their own sense of potential. After all, we are the same species that put a man on the moon. We are capable of great things individually and collectively. So one way to keep that self-talk positive is to focus on role models, people who inspire and elevate you. A role model can be a person who motivates you by the way they live their own lives. They inspire you to be a better version of yourself based on what they've accomplished. They often demonstrate bravery, strength, and courage. They tend to have personal integrity and kindness. 
They can be someone you've heard about or someone you know personally. Role models may have had great accomplishments or may have risen in the face of adversity. Most accomplished people have worked very hard to get where they are. They usually have a story of hard work underneath what seems like natural ability. For example, did you know that Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team? Nobody is great without hard work and years of dedicated effort. Just look at the real-life examples cited by author Jeff Colvin in a 2006 Forbes magazine story called What It Takes to Be Great. Michael Jordan was just one case. He put himself through intense training on his own, in addition to the team practices. All-time great receiver Jerry Rice was passed up by 15 football teams because they thought he was too slow. Rice practiced so hard that other players would get sick trying to keep up. Bobby Fischer, who became a chess master at 16, had been studying chess intensively for nine years. Tiger Woods had a golf club strapped to his hand when he was 18 months old, started actually playing when he could walk and move a little better around three. So when he won the U.S. Amateur Championship at 18, he had already put in over 15 years of practice. The critical reality is that we are not hostage to some naturally given level of talent. We can make ourselves what we will, Colvin wrote in the Forbes article, which later became a book called Talent is Overrated, What Really Separates World-Class Performers from Everybody Else. Louis Zamperini began life as an unlikely role model. He was a high-spirited kid who always seemed to be running away from trouble. His unusual speed took him to the Olympics, and then he became a fighter pilot in World War II. When his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean, he managed to stay alive for a harrowing 47 days on a life raft with two other men, one of whom died, before the others were captured by the Japanese. Zamperini spent the next two years as a prisoner of war, targeted by a sadistic prison guard for beatings and torture. When the war ended, Zamperini was liberated. He returned to the United States, married, and raised a family. His powerful story of strength and resilience became the subject of a book and movie, Unbroken. We all know Jane Goodall as a groundbreaking anthropologist, and yet she had no formal scientific background when she first set out to study chimpanzees. Did you know her early work was met with resistance from British authorities? And what's more, the chimps themselves initially fled from her when she started to observe them. Her research eventually became revolutionary, and it was the result of years of tremendous patience and persistence. One of my role models and former employers, Martha Stewart, wasn't always the cooking, gardening, and publishing magnate that she is known as now. She became a domestic icon only after careers as a model, a stockbroker, and a caterer. When I decided I wanted to go to culinary school with the dream of helping people gain confidence in their own kitchens, I wanted to learn from the person who did it best. I made working for Martha my single-minded focus, and I assembled all the connections I could to score an interview. Within six months, I was hired as a freelancer, working for the then-brand-new magazine called Everyday Food. One month later, I was standing in the kitchen with Martha herself, tasting and evaluating dishes for the magazine. Six months after that, I was offered a full-time position as a TV segment chef. And when I told Martha I wanted to write cookbooks, she didn't give me the dismissive answer that so many had before her. She replied, <laughs> eh, I didn't even publish my first book until I was 41. It's very Martha, isn't it? <laughs> she just gets a lot done. Here's a little story. Jenny was interested in working with special needs children, specifically children who were adopted after the age of four. In our first session, she shared that she wanted to focus on the unique needs of these children and their families. She was laser-focused, passionate, and eager to help this targeted group of people. After Jenny shared her vision, and I acknowledged her passion and focus, she confessed that she had no idea where to start because no one was doing the type of work she wanted to do. Maybe so, maybe not, I said, but who is doing work close to the kind of work you want to do? We brainstormed different adoption agencies, child therapists, child therapists working with special needs children, and adoptive child therapists. Soon we had a long list of people who were doing work tangential to the work she wanted to do. This was her list of role models, people who were a bit further down her desired path. She was eager to reach out to them, connect with them, and see how they got to where they were. 
Jenny was going to use those role models to develop her own unique path. The most powerful role model connections are often people you already know, people in your family or close circle who you can look up to. Martha Stewart was an inspiration to me, and so was my grandmother, who earned a living and was financially independent for the second half of her life. Without a college degree and without a strong work history, she used her great attitude to take responsibility for herself. Who is a role model within your midst? Who do you know who has done something powerful? Is it your great-grandfather, who was the first in your family to put himself through college? Or was it your mother, who became a single parent and raised your family on her own? Who do you know who is brave on a regular basis, overcoming disease, raising a special needs child, or suffering from a debilitating injury? Who do you know that makes you think, this person is incredible? How do they do it? Action stop point. Create a list of 10 role models. They can be people you know personally or people you have never met. Next to each person, describe why they have made your list. What quality do they have that makes them a role model? Now, create a list of at least five people who are role models to you and are specifically connected to your goal, like Martha Stewart was for me. This may be a subset of your existing list. The point is that they are connected to your goal. What have these people done? that makes them a role model for your list? Do you know them personally? If not, is there a way for you to meet them? Please find a way to connect with your role model, whether via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or just reaching out and saying hi. You can follow your role model, or like my Asbury Park drummer client who made his way out to LA, you can tweet at them. Go ahead, you got something to say? Say it. If you're looking for an extra burst of inspiration, a way to tune into the incredible human being who might just live next door, let me share a little secret with you. It's called StoryCorps. StoryCorps is a collection of stories told by regular people to someone close to them. Their mission is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. Talk about a meaningful goal. StoryCorps began with an actual physical story booth in Grand Central Terminal in New York City in 2003. People were asked to bring a friend into the audio recording booth and interview that person, asking questions they'd always wanted to ask or share a meaningful story. To listen to StoryCorps stories, all you need to do is go to their website, storycorps.org, or download their app. They're also often featured on local NPR programs. At this point, They've also published five books, including Callings, The Purpose and Passion of Work, and All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps. They also have a powerful series of animated shorts, which they've designed to bring their stories to life. When I need inspiration, I head to StoryCorps and listen. There are two particularly powerful StoryCorps stories that have stayed with me. One is an interview conducted by Joshua Littman, a 12-year-old boy with Asperger's, who chose to interview his mother. He asked questions like, do you love me less than my sister? What is it like to be my mom? Do you wish you didn't have me? It's a powerful interview, and it showcases his curiosity and his mother's strength and love. The second StoryCorps story that resonated with me is a conversation between Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel, the man who killed Mary's teenage son. They describe how they started their relationship and how that relationship blossomed into a kind of mother-son relationship. As a result of this experience, Johnson founded From Death to Life, an organization that supports mothers who've lost children to homicide and encourages forgiveness between families of murderers and victims. The people on StoryCorps are not Michael Jordan or Louis Zamperini. They are much more likely to be sitting next to you in traffic or in the stands at a soccer game. It's invigorating to think of ordinary people with exceptional character in our midst. There are a lot of these stories, too. The StoryCorps website has more than 400,000 stories. Have a listen. Reflection Stop Point. If you were going to invite someone you know to record a StoryCorps story with you, who would you ask? Who is the first person that comes to mind? And the second? And the third? 
put together a list of five people. Action stop point. Now here's a special challenge. Choose one person from your list of five above. Go to storycorps.org slash participate and find out where you can record a story near you or do it as a DIY. The thing that's most exciting for me about StoryCorps is now when I'm walking on the street or in the subway or taking an Uber, you just don't think about people the same way. It's also an occupational hazard. Every person who walks through my door as a coaching client has a story. They have an ambition. You have a story. You have an ambition. You are fascinating. The people around you look to you as a hero. You right now are engaged in your next heroic act. This is a component of everybody's constitution and part of what makes being alive kind of great. Next tool, milestones and inch pebbles. Some goals are scary, and some action steps just don't seem to get accomplished no matter how many times they show up on your action list. When an action item isn't getting done after a couple weeks, it's not time to be mean to yourself or or push through it. It's time to ask yourself why. Have grace with it. If you're not doing it, let's ask why. And then we can get underneath it and do it anyway. I don't want you to white-knuckle your way through it. Be an intellect about it. This, when the action's not getting done, is also a good time to use the Milestones and Inch Pebbles tool. A milestone is a big accomplishment, like running a marathon or getting into a college of your choice. An inch pebble is a smaller accomplishment on the way to a milestone, like spending 10 minutes each day for a week meditating. Pebbles and stones, inches and miles. Unfortunately, sometimes the action you set for yourself seems too big and intimidating, and so it just doesn't get done. Instead of creating a reasonably sized pebble, you've created a milestone. And now this big stone is blocking your path. How can you break it down into smaller components, inch pebbles that you can achieve? Is this action important to you? Before you do it, what do you need to do first? Write yourself a recipe. What's your first next step, your second next step, and so on. Break that milestone into inch pebbles. Inaction is often an indication that it's time to break a milestone into inch pebbles. You will get to that milestone eventually. After all, that's kind of the whole point of this podcast course. You set a goal, you're going to get there. That's your milestone. But to get yourself out of the inaction or stagnation, you have to give yourself a couple easy wins, a few inch pebbles that you can claim as your achievement. Once you've gathered a few pebbles and gained some confidence, you can attack the rocks, and then the stones will start flowing. You'll find yourself engaged in a productivity avalanche in no time. When I used to do a lot of work on camera, I was terrible at memorizing lines. And then I said, I'm terrible at memorizing lines, so it became reinforced. My director would sit with me and memorize three words, then memorize another three words for a total of six words, then build it up to nine words. He would inch pebble that milestone side by side with me and help me take over whole paragraphs in no time. Let's say you want to find a partner and get married. You've got to start with going on a date, and then you have another date. After a while, you'll find out what you do and don't like in a person, and you'll hone in on what you're looking for. Even if the girl who lived next door when you were 12 seemed just perfect for you, you probably won't really recognize that until you do a little bit more dating off the block. If you want to lose 40 pounds, you have to start by losing a pound, then five, then seven. When people try to do something very ambitious right off the bat and skip steps, moving from A to D instead of A to B, they often get frustrated and throw up their hands. Think of all the people who cheat on a too strict diet. Like that slow and steady tortoise that wins the race against that cocky hare. Know that by knocking off the inch pebbles, you will soon reach your milestone. Reflection stop point. Is there an action item or a milestone you've set up that just isn't getting done? Action stop point. If you answered yes to the last question, identify several first next steps for breaking down that action item into smaller inch pebbles. The next tool is something I'm guessing you haven't heard before, but you can't unhear it once you've heard it, and it might just be your next favorite tool. It is called the Question Burst. Now, because I am a total coaching geek, I am a member of the International Coaching Federation, and I attend their biannual global event. 
just travel with me for a second. Now, can you imagine the positivity in a room full of 1,600 coaches from 62 different countries? Let's just say that decaf is all that's needed at that conference. At the August 2017 conference, the keynote speaker was Hal Gregerson, the executive director of the MIT Leadership Center, who has spent his career studying the minds of innovators from Steve Jobs to Jeff Bezos. His central belief is that the magic is in the questions that are asked, and his research is focused on helping people become better questioners. Question Burst is a technique Gregerson shared with the coaches at the conference. It's a tool that he designed to help corporations move through wicked hard problems, because MIT is in Boston, and connect with the questions that can provide promising pathways toward solutions. Connect with the questions. You can find his complete technique, also referred to as QBurst, on his website, which is 4-24project.org. That's again, the number 4-24project.org. This site encourages leaders to set aside four minutes every 24 hours or one day a year to ask better questions. Here's one QBurst example from the website. Suppose you're having trouble gaining customer awareness for a new product. Spend four minutes asking just questions around this challenge. For example, why aren't customers noticing this product? If money was no object, what could we do to change this? Action stop point. Are you ready to try my modified version of Question Burst? Of course you are. Let's do this. Number one, identify an opportunity or challenge or wicked hard problem that you would like to work on. I mean, literally, Anything. Doesn't have to do with your goal. Just something right now in the moment, in the day, in the hour. What's a problem you're sort of struggling with? Two, how do you feel about it? You feel positive, negative, or neutral? Three, articulate the problem to a partner, accountability partner, friend, or just verbalize it into a camera or audio recorder. Spend no more than 30 seconds sizing up the problem. Four, Brainstorm questions about the problem for two full minutes. This is the heart of the exercise, and these are the rules. You may only brainstorm questions. Do not attempt to answer the questions or explain the questions. Just ask them. By the end of the two minutes, you will likely have about 12 to 15 questions. Five, identify how you feel about the topic now. Do you feel positive, negative, or neutral? If you don't feel a bit more positive, repeat step four, which was that two-minute question burst. Six and last, sort the questions and commit to answering the ones that will move you forward. Take a look at the questions. Is there a theme or themes? Are they answerable? Are there a few questions that resonate with you enough that you'd like to pursue answers? Commit to a time frame and pursue the answers. Reflection stop point. How did the question burst work for you? What did you like about it? How could this relate to moving through a stuck point as you pursue your goal? Some questions will be answerable right away or in a short period of time. Others you can answer if you take them away and think about them. Others still might seem insurmountable. That's okay. Once you've worked through the easier ones, chances are you'll have some insight into the harder ones too. Although this technique was designed for corporate executives, I use it with my career and life coaching clients when the client feels stuck or overwhelmed, when there appears to be too much on their mind and they want to break free from that feeling. Does that sound familiar? I hope so. A question burst is just a different way to explode a stuck point like a milestone and shatter it into smaller questions like inch pebbles. As an example, a client may bring a big question like this to the session. Do I want to marry my girlfriend? So here are some sub-questions that might come up in a question burst. What will our relationship be like in 20 years? Will I be able to handle her debt? Is she loyal to me? Is she going to end up like her mom? Can I depend on her? What kind of a mom is she going to be? Will I still be attracted to her? What about the fact that she loves being social and I'm more of a homebody? What would happen if we divorced? She thinks I'm messy. Is she always going to nag me about that? Will she contribute financially or will I have to be the breadwinner? If you run out of questions and there's more time left, dig deeper. That tends to be when the best stuff comes out. 
in my practice, I'll write the questions on a whiteboard as my client talks. Clients always feel great relief getting these questions out of their head. Often, they didn't even realize that they had those questions on their minds. It's just liberating. And then once the questions are out there, they can pursue the ones they want answered. It's best to do this exercise with a partner or a recorder so you can be free to just think without the burden of having to write everything down. Next tool, eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. So the word eustress has two components, as I mentioned earlier, you and stress. My assumption is that you are already keenly aware of the word stress. It can come in the form of anxiety, nervousness, or a feeling that the walls are closing in or that you're treading water just to stay afloat. Not so uplifting, but stay with me. You, E-U, is a Greek root that means good or well. You'll see the same root in the words euphoria and euphemism. So if you put the two parts of the word together, you get a positive type of stress. Positive stress? You bet. Like that feeling of nervousness before an interview or before you ask someone out on a date, before the prom, your first day of school, or traveling to a new country. You stress is good for you. It's the heightened sense of awareness that primes you to be alert, preparing you to perform at your best. So when you experience that feeling of stress before doing something big, the question is, how do you meet and greet it? Think about a football coach talking to the team at halftime. The players may be down, and he uses his platform to shift their energy into positive action. He takes the stress they may be feeling about losing and turns it into eustress, where the entire group is aligned toward a common goal. If you are preparing for a speech and feel stress or anxiety or nervousness, how can you shift that into you stress, right? Something that feeds your power and energy for the speech. Feeling anxiety related to a specific event like a job interview or sending an email to someone who can help you, it's a good tip that this thing you're doing, it's important to you. It's important and it's causing you to have more energy. Now, you can tag that energy as uh, negative dread, or you can tag it as, ooh, my body's getting charged up because this is important. Let's go get them. Instead of letting anxiety get the better of you, find a way to flip it to you stress. You at your best, primed to deliver, using that extra energy to enhance your talent. Reflection stop point. Can you identify a moment during this process when you felt nervousness or anxiety and use that extra energy to propel yourself forward? How did that work to your benefit? Or did you feel that nervousness and anxiety and it kept you mm, bolted to your chair, not taking action? Think about how you could flip that next time. In the spirit of the book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which was a huge bestseller several decades ago. Our last tool for this episode is meditation. What I'm wondering is when exactly did meditation go mainstream, right? I remember yoga was sort of weird in the 70s. Now it's everywhere. Meditation has gone the same way. It is such a powerful cultural meme that is now part of preschool and elementary curriculums. I often recommend mindfulness meditation to my clients when it seems like their thoughts and emotions are taking over their minds. I use the following example to demonstrate when it's time for a meditation intervention. Think about a dog owner walking their dog on a leash. Sometimes the dog is in charge and the owner is just trailing after the dog, like the tail of a kite. Ideally, the owner is in charge and the dog will feel calmer and safer as a result. Now, does your brain control what you think, what you put the energy of your mind toward? Or do you choose your thoughts actively? Headspace is a meditation app I often recommend to my clients. It's easy to start. Headspace only asks you to commit to meditating for 10 minutes a day. It also has short, useful videos that explain mindfulness. With this kind of meditation, you allow unpleasant thoughts to come and go without getting too invested in or distracted by each one. The listener is advised to acknowledge unpleasant thoughts without letting them take over. 
When left to their own devices, our minds can pursue any number of distractions, and this is only enhanced by social media and pervasive screens. Meditation helps us to respond instead of react. For example, if you're driving and someone cuts you off, you're going to be distracted by what just happened. There's a sense of fear, aggravation, possibly anger. Now, do you choose to get all heated by this person and be like, what the hell are they thinking? How long are you going to let that person's behavior impact your mood? With mindfulness, you can learn to observe the aggravation without following it. You take responsibility for your own emotional and psychological landscape. Mindfulness will pull you out of a state of reactivity, where you get immediately captivated and distracted by things that happened, and into responsiveness, where you have an opportunity to decide what you'll think about. Many negative reactions, such as losing our temper or hitting something, may feel involuntary. With meditation practice, you can learn over time to exercise more control over your thoughts and therefore your actions to have responsiveness instead of reactivity. I often ask my clients, hey, right now, are you reacting or responding? Headspace is my choice because it's easy and effective. The owner of the company and host of the meditation, Andy Puttycomb, is a pleasant-sounding guy. There are other similar apps. Simple Habit does five-minute meditations, and Aura does three-minute ones. I also love Calm because it's got great sleep stories for my kids in addition to great meditation. If you are an anxious person and you struggle to set aside your worries and meditate for any length of time, that three-minute meditation on Aura could be the way to go. There are also tons of guided meditation videos on Amazon Prime, and there's a YouTube channel called Honest Guys Meditation that people love. Once you decide to do mindfulness meditation, there are many different options. So play around and find what works for you. I actually ended up going super deep into meditation last year. There's a meditation program that was designed 40 years ago by John Kabat-Zinn in collaboration with University of Massachusetts. It's called MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction. He offers classes and fabulous online classes, which is the route I took. It was eight weeks of meditation, including a full-day silent meditation, and requires an hour of meditation a day. If you want to go for it and really get into it, I highly recommend that program. Meditation is something you do for you, as opposed to the things you do for other people. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, a better you is better for your stakeholders. So in the end, the people you love will also benefit from a better you. Mindfulness meditation in particular just helps to clear your mind, make active choices about what you want to put on your mind. Our minds get so cluttered just like a desk, so it can be good to take a couple minutes every day to just clear everything off and then decide what gets to go back on. Daniel was waking up multiple times every night. Each time he woke up, he would be racked with anxiety about all the things he needed to do. I suggested that he write down his thoughts in effort to capture them so he could let them go. When he woke up in the middle of night with these thoughts, he would say, Hello, thoughts. You are important. But I'm going to be better at addressing you after a good night's sleep. I'll see you when I wake up at 8 o'clock. These thoughts don't get to keep you up at night. Be the boss of your brain. And incidentally, the Calm app has a really great meditation for when you wake up in the middle of the night. So those apps are there for you. That approach was really effective for Daniel, but he wanted more. He tried to make the list, anticipating what his brain would want him to think about before he went to bed. And then he did a headspace meditation before he drifted off to sleep. That did the trick. He stopped waking up in the middle of the night. If you're having a chocolate craving, you don't have to just automatically throw chocolate in your mouth like a chocolate-eating zombie. You can ask, why do I have this craving, right? Don't react, respond. What am I looking for? What does my body want that I don't have? Then you can decide what you actually need. Well, my revolutionary, those are some serious tools. Between these tools in episode eight, and the frameworks you learned in episode seven, I hope you feel very prepared to keep the engine of change moving extraordinarily close to achieving your goal. 
So just stay here if you need to. Stay here in the engine of change, right? The brains and the brawn. Use these tools to help you get further along the path toward goal achievement. Now it's time for insights and action. So let's start with insights. What was most useful for you in this episode? Without me refreshing your mind, just tell me, what was most useful? Now share two more ideas, just off the top of your mind. Now I'm going to read off the seven areas that we focused on and think about which ones you want to commit to doing the exercise. Here we go. Unleash your inner superhero. That was the Superman or Wonder Woman pose. Identify your stakeholders. Who is impacted by you achieving this goal and how can you use them to help you motivate yourself? Let your role models pull you up. Now that's either people you do actually know or people you aspire to be like, right? People who inspire you. Milestones and inch pebbles. Question burst. The concept of you stress and flipping negative stress into positive stress. And last, meditation. Now that I've reviewed these topics, pick out another two that are useful to you that you want to take with you moving forward. Actions. Which tool or tools will grease the wheels as you drive toward your goal? Pick three. Choose at least one of the tactical tools from this chapter and do it. Identify at least three action steps that you need to take this week that will move you toward your goal. 